0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Lineup with Dave Prodan. I'm Dave Prodan, and this is episode 57. All right. Well, we said there would be more news coming uh, in last week's episode, and that turned out to be true. Look at that. Yesterday, the WSL announced that the Australian leg for the 2021 championship tour will be Newcastle, Narrabeen, Margaret River, and Rottnest Island. Uh, exciting stuff. And these adjustments are naturally being made to address the ongoing COVID-19 challenges, which means no Bell's Beach this season, uh, which was announced last week, and no Gold Coast, both of which are, are huge bummers. You know, those stops are world-class, and they have a great history behind them. But this is an extraordinary season, and everyone, uh, surfers included, are working really hard to bring competitive surfing back online in 2021 and to bridge to a stabler time in 2022 and beyond. And the fact of the matter is that the operations of running two events in New South Wales and two events in Western Australia made the most sense in terms of keeping everyone safe and ensuring the world's best surfing is happening. Newcastle was a CT event back in the 80s and 90s. I think I mentioned last week, I've been there, I've got friends there, I really love it and I'm looking forward to it. Narrabeen hosted the World Junior Championships for a decade, and I actually lived there when I was real little. Shout out to uh, Goodwin Street. It's a high-performance left-hander. It has its own strong heritage of world-class surfers, and that's going to be really interesting. Margaret River is returning, and for the first time in history, we will be competing at Rottnest Island, a seven-mile island off the coast of Fremantle with excellent surf and the quokka, um, the world's cutest selfie creature. Look it up. So yeah. 2021 Fury Road season, uh, unquestionably, but uh, I'm excited. In other exciting news, the WSL announced that Jesse Miley-Dyer, a former World Junior Champ, CT standout, surfer rep, board member, and tour manager, will now serve as the organization's SVP of tours and competition following Pat O'Connell's decision to transition out of the WSL. Safe travels to Pat. I'm sure we'll see you down the track. And congratulations to Jessie. Personally, I'm very confident in her abilities to lead the tour in Australia and beyond. All right, episode 57. Today's guest is someone who I actually had the pleasure of meeting here in the WSL workforce trenches. He's a product of the South Bay. He absolutely rips, was actually one of the final contenders for casting in the upcoming season of The Ultimate Surfer. He's recently been added to the Body Glove Surf Team, and he's a champion of the Color of the Water and the One Ocean, One People programs. Please enjoy the lineups conversation with Los Angeles's Hunter Jones.
1: The good old clap take one. That's right.
0: How many of you knew what you wanted to be when you were seven years old? I did. I wanted to be a world champion. Hey, is
1: there honesty involved in this podcast? Can we be honest? We can shut your fucking lips. And then I'll just say, put him up once,
0: let's go. He's like, you look too pretty on the wave. Get ugly. We can talk about DMT if you want.
1: I'm talking to your boxing.
0: Hunter Jones joining us for the lineup today. Thanks so much, man. How are you doing today? Where are you today? Who are you with?
1: Currently home by myself. Uh, I just moved to Gardena, which is um, pretty close to Manhattan Beach. A place I surf all the time. But yeah, man, super stoked to catch up. It's been a while. It's
0: been a while. And in, did you surf today? Are you going to surf? What's going on?
1: Didn't surf today. Um, it's been pretty small the past week. I mean, we had a pretty crazy run of swell here in the South Bay for like the back half of 20 or just all December or straight into January. So it's kind of good to have a little bit of a break. But uh, yeah, we have waves coming. So get tuned up and ready for that.
0: That's right. Yeah, it was one of those things where we had really nice End of 2020, early 2021, and then I think that last swell that hit because it's you know we just kind of look at Hawaii and go like okay well there's waves there we should be getting waves soon enough. That last swell that hit up here hit with like really really ugly winds so so like really nobody surfed up here. But then I, I was getting all these like messages and photos from from LA and it was just like clean and like day of days at like Venice and I'm like oh man it's been yeah. good
1: down there. Oh I know it, yeah it was pretty cool we had you know. We had good conditions, kind of all day for a lot of days. Like we had some, you saw photos of those crazy offshore days in the afternoon, and you know a lot of double sessions and uh, super tired shoulders, <laughs> but <laughs> super good.
0: Yeah, and you know you mentioned it's been a while since we've seen each other, and I was in advance of this podcast, I'm like when was the last time I saw Hunter? Because the background for everyone is that we used to work together. You used to work at the WSL, yeah. and uh, you, you've grown and you've moved on to other things. But it was, we were in a hotel by LAX. I can't remember which one. And I was there because I was helping on the Ultimate Surfer casting. And you were down to like the final 24. And then we ran into each other, like in the hallway. In the hallway, yeah. And the, the handlers were like, you're not supposed to talk to each other. And we're like, okay, chill out. Like <laughs>
1: That's what the whole experience felt like. Because you just, you know, we were walking around the hotel and you saw a bunch of people you knew because the surf world's so small. And it was good to see you, a familiar face, just walking in the hall, like, Oh, there's you know there's Dave, and then <laughs> I'm having I'm being interviewed by you, you know. So that was kind of cool. I was like, oh, okay, I got a little in, but <laughs> didn't well, I end up I, making it. But uh, it was cool.
0: I, I had it pretty easy on the day. Like my my role was really vague, but they were kind of like, okay, you're here to give us guidance on the surfing ability of all the applicants. So you have to come up with like a rating system. And I'm like, oh, okay. And there were 700 applicants, and everyone submitted like. Instagram videos and photos and resumes and everything. So I spent like a few weeks coming through those and my rating system was basically like, okay, I I don't know, like A is CT level, like B is QS level, like C is like pretty good, but maybe not QS level and then like DNF. And I was shocked at like how many A, B applicants there were. I was stoked. Um, Really? and, and And you were in the mix and man, that, that day was strange. I didn't have to do a whole lot. I was just kind of sitting on the side, but it did feel like a firing squad for everyone that had been in there. And as I found out, I just had to turn up for the day, but you guys were kind of trapped in that hotel room or the hotel for like three days.
1: Oh, I think it was like five days. Yeah. (laughs) They had us in the hotel. I don't think we had like room keys. Like you were, we were locked in our room and you know, we had room service and (laughs) that was kind of it, but it was cool. A lot of working out a lot of I was able to have my computer and, and get some stuff done. But yeah, it was cool. Like for me, I was walking around the halls and, you know, seeing like Coa Smith and Luke Davis. And I was like, whoa, like it's kind of gnarly, but it was really <laughs> cool to be, to be in the mix and uh, just to have the opportunity to maybe be a part of the show. And I'm stoked to see it come out eventually.
0: Dude, and this was before COVID. Like you guys were locked in your hotel room before COVID. You got a a warm up to what the future was going to bring for us. I (laughs) know.
1: Yeah. I think it was like just in the midst of it. I mean, we had the COVID testing and all that. But yeah, definitely got a, a little taste of the future.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, and again, like uh, obviously didn't get to play favorites or or any sort of conflict of interest, but I think like talent wise, you could have easily hung in the show. So maybe next season. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. Hey,
1: I'm, I'll be there for next season. You can bet on that for sure. <laughs> How's, um, I wanted to ask you what's going on with the tour. I saw some announcements. Do you have a, an update there?
0: Yeah, um, we do. I <laughs> it's timed pretty well, I guess. Yeah, it's been pretty, pretty crazy. Like I, we were in Hawaii and we you know we were doing everything we could to get the tour up and running. And we always kind of looked at, I think this year is like the Fury Road season. We're like, it's going to be bumpy. And it's been bumpy. Obviously, Hawaii was a little bumpy. And then, yeah, I think like COVID continued to impact. Uh, we had to cancel sunset. We had to postpone Santa Cruz and we quickly pivoted to Australia. And we're like, OK, what can we do there? And Australia is really unique in that they've done a really, really good job managing the virus. They're they're being really strict, but for good reason, Mm -hmm. with sort of traveling um, sports coming there. And the unique thing there is that each state operates differently. So, you know, New South Wales might operate differently to Victoria, might operate differently to Queensland and and Western Australia. And so long story short is that what we had originally planned was to do uh, three events, you know, at Bells Beach and the Gold Coast and Margaret River turned out Mm -hmm. to not really be possible with like operations and soft bubbles and and navigating the states. And so where we ended up was we're actually going to do four events. Uh, We're going to do our first event at Newcastle. Our second event in Narabeen, um, our third event at Margaret River, and then our fourth event at Rottnest Island. So we're doing one out of yeah, the we original three in. that we planned, and then we've <laughs> added an extra three. And so I think everyone in the Asia Pacific office is probably going to have to sleep for like seven months after this because they've yeah. been really busy. But I'm really excited. Like well, I mean, that's I, big news though. Oh, it's huge news, and I think that's like huge. the surfers are just pumped to go surf again. And some of these mm-hmm. waves are really, really interesting and like yeah, really I've never high heard quality. Of that last spot. Yeah, Rottnest. So it's um, it's like a tiny island off the coast of Fremantle, and it's got a, a really good couple of spots. Um, Strickland Bay, um, sort of reef break, like, like pretty similar to what you see down in the Margaret River region. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's going to be wild. I've been to Newcastle a ton. I love going there. Like, I think the waves could be really good there. And then um, I actually lived in Narrabeen when I was a little kid.
1: No way. Okay.
0: And before I, before I surf, but I've, I've been back there a lot and that's a really fun wave too. It's got a, it's yeah. got a rich, rich history. So yeah, I, I think wow. the, C, okay. the CT awesome. is going to be big time in Australia. So did you watch, <laughs> did you watch in Hawaii? Like, did you watch the men's and women's events? What were oh, your takeaways? Of course.
1: Yeah, no, that was amazing. Um, just so good to see, you know, live surfing back and, you know, I, I'm such a fan of the WSL and all the events and fantasy and it was just cool to get that taste again and you know see John Wynn Pipe and um, the woman at Pipe and just stoked for you know all the work you guys are doing and I know that takes a lot so cheers to you guys and super stoked to see you know the Australian leg of the tour get uh underway.
0: Yeah, I was talking to a friend of mine and and they were watching kind of the you know the clips coming out of Hawaii and the performances in Maui and then at Pipe and they were like, oh, you know, it looks like every single one of the women have been like training in the gym for the entire off year. And they're like, it looks like some of the, the guys kind of hit like the dad bod season <laughs> where they were just like, yeah, maybe <laughs> we'll just turn up and train. And I was like, it's probably a, it's probably a fair point. I, I like the observation.
1: Yeah, totally. Hey, I mean, if, if you're just pulling into barrels and maybe a little easier than like having to grovel and stuff, but uh, yeah, I'm sure they'll all be tuned up and ready for Oz.
0: Well, the funny thing is, a lot of them are dads now, so like I can empathize. I've Good got, point. I've got, yeah, I've got seven-year-olds. I know how it goes. Yeah, <laughs> <Not>
1: for sure.
0: <laughs> well, let's go back to 2020, man. Like, I think the other time I saw you actually it must have been later on. We saw each other at Bay Street uh, during one of the BLM paddle outs. But what mm. was your what was your year like? And, and like, I guess maybe give people a little bit of background in terms of like. What's your day to day? What's your job? Like, how do you make a living? Like, who is Hunter Jones? Uh, Post WSL, I think is the question.
1: Post WSL. Um, Yeah, man. 2020 was a good year, an interesting year for all of us. What I do, I'm I'm a video editor, content creator. That's kind of what I was doing a lot in 2020. And obviously surfer, aspiring professional now. You know, uh, just went pro with Body Glove, but um, yeah, um, doing a lot of video editing and trying to stay busy. I did um, some stunt doubling. I did it for a show called Outer Banks on Netflix, which was a cool opportunity. I put out my first surf film called Still Dreaming. That was a big kind of push. You know, we we're all indoors for so long, so I kind of like cracked down and put that thing out made that thing happen, which was cool and. I ended up getting on the cover of South Bay Magazine, which was really cool and a privilege. And, you know, being that's where I grew up, it was just cool to have that as part of the resume. And uh, yeah, man, just always try to make something happen regardless of your circumstances.
0: Yeah, I'd heard that. I mean, it was sort of a boon year for creatives who, you know, they'd be like, oh, I've put off writing the script or I've put off making this edit or I've put off writing the novel. Like, and people for the first time had time to do that. I didn't write a novel, so I don't, I didn't get that done. But like, but I mean, I think that's right. Like, and it's funny when you kind of listen in or you you hear about how people navigated the year and navigated the work from home thing and just navigated the like, now I have this time because my my social life's been curbed or my commute time has been curbed and, and people focusing in on those projects. Do you You've, you've recently signed with Body Glove. Congratulations. Congratulations to Body Glove, actually. I think it's sort of where that, that needs to <laughs> go. But, but you, you're, you're a very high-level surfer. You're a young guy. You're a creator. You know, Do you consider yourself at all a professional surfer? Do you, do you have kind of aspirations to develop and put out more film content, to do contests, to do Ultimate Surfer, whatever it is? Like, yeah. is, that, is that still a huge driver for you in your career path right now?
1: yeah i guess for me like growing up i was always trying to find a way to make surfing like i guess my job or what i do for a living um and doing the creative work kind of helped lead me into that path and i always had that in the back of my mind but um for me i'm i'm a free surfer like i never i didn't grow up competing um that's kind of wasn't my world and um for me i'm just trying to you know take it as far as i can and, and travel and create videos along the way and um yeah, I'm just fortunate to be in the position that I am right now.
0: Totally. Well, let's talk a little bit about where you grew up because I grew up in Southern California most of my life. Yeah. Um, Orange County, then I went to school in Santa Barbara, and now I live in Ventura. And I feel like most of my adult life, I avoided Los Angeles um, or stop, <laughs> stopping stopping in Los Angeles or surfing in Los Angeles. And geez, when we, we moved the office there in 2013, so I've spent much more time down there. It's a unique place to be a surfer. Describe what it was like for you growing up, and and if it's changed at all between then and now for you.
1: Yeah, um, South Bay is interesting. It's you know we're full on beach breaks. We rely on sandbars. Um, yeah, you know, we have a few jetties and piers that we that we have, but for the most part, the South Bay is just a bunch of closeouts. <laughs> so it's like you have to be a pretty fast surfer. Um, you know, we have odd barrel here and there if you know where to look and yeah it's I think I've definitely been molded into this like beach break style surfer Uh, just you know surfing El Porto every day but you know we don't have the best waves and it's it's always funny like talking to guys that are like in Huntington like oh gosh like the waves suck or like it's not good it's like Every time I go to Huntington, Huntington, I feel like I'm surfing like a good wave or like (laughs) Newport. It's all it's all relative, right? You don't know, yeah. You don't know what I deal with on the day to day, but you know we have our day. And um, I definitely love home and everything the South Bay has to offer.
0: Yeah, and it's funny, right? Because you you end up becoming a total product of your environment, and even from like a surfing standpoint, like I grew up surfing similarly, like at a Saint Clement Pier, which is kind of a, another glorified closeout. Um, no disrespect to anyone that still surfs every day, but but it's one of those things where I'm like, you know, I I learned how to like pump down the line pretty quickly, or do like a closeout floater, but like yeah. I didn't I didn't learn how to do a bottom turn until I was like in my twenties because it's like there's no space, you know. And so it's just one of those things where like I didn't think about the fundamentals until I was much older, and I'm like, oh yeah, these are really important.
1: Yeah, no, <laughs> totally. Those are. Super important. Yeah. I looked up to a lot of the guys, like the local pros in my area. We had like Matt Pagan was a huge influence on me. He grew up in Westchester, which is where I grew up. You know, we surfed all the same breaks and I saw him like making this pro career out of, you know, the South Bay. And I was like, if he could do it, you know, maybe I could do it too. And I looked up to him. I looked up to Dane Zahn, Mm. uh, Alex Gray. So those were guys that I got to surf with on, on the day-to-day at home. And, got a lot of inspiration
0: from them. It, it's funny, like I've heard Kelly talk about this too, cause he grew up surfing beach breaks in Florida and like the Hobgood brothers or whatever. And he said, you know, I think it was really good for my development because I had to learn all the maneuvers on these crappy waves. And so when I was able to travel out in the world I was maybe a little bit faster, a little bit more progressive. I was definitely more hungry, you know? And mm. I think you, some of those surfers you named like Alex Gray and Dane Zahn and and, you know, sometimes those communities that don't have great waves are like a huge number of people that kind of crack the professional surfer ceiling. The ones that do are so motivated to rip because they, they're that much more appreciative and maybe less jaded when it comes to like, they go to Australia and they're like, you know, this is sort of an average day at Duran Ball and the Australian's like, oh, I'm going to go to the pub. And like, I remember yeah. I was always like, oh my God, this is like the best day we could insane. ever serve. Us.
1: This is nuts, you know? Totally. Yeah. I mean, anytime I'm able to travel outside of the South Bay, or even if I'm going to like Malibu, Third Point or Uppers or something like that, it's just like you get such an opportunity to like draw out a turn or actually try a bottom turn. Cause you know, here in the South Bay, it's really fast waves. And I think that helped, like, I really like to do airs and stuff. So, you know, that's kind of, we, you're pumping down the line, doing a floater, or doing a quick snap and that's it. But yeah, it's a good place to grow up.
0: It's interesting because I was talking to Pat O'Connell about this the other day, and it was this conversation around how, you know, you look back a couple decades or three decades ago, and just speaking for California as a sample set, you would have like very high level professional surfers kind of at every beach, you know, like there'd be a bunch that would come out of like you know, Carlsbad or, or La Jolla area. There'd be some that came out of San Clemente and Newport and Huntington. There'd be some that come out of LA and then, you know, Ventura, Santa Barbara, like, you know, Morro Bay, like Santa Cruz. And he was saying, you know, now it's like all these kids that want to be professional surfers are kind of gravitating and moving towards basically San Clemente to surf lowers every day. Mm-hmm. And, and He's like, I don't know. He goes, and so you kind of get all these transplants that are there because it is kind of the best wave to develop on. But then you kind of get this homogenization of of talent, right? Because they're all now in San Clemente and kind of all these other places are a little bit absent. Have you have you noticed that at all? Like, just I guess as a high level surfer and then a in a in a observer and sort of a. An observer of of, of professional surfing. Have you noticed that in terms of South Day and in terms of that migration towards San Clemente?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, we've obviously seen seen guys like Felipe Toledo and and Jordy move there. Um, Mm. And it's, you know, it's good to have such a high performance wave every day. But I think there's, you know, almost an advantage to being or having your own zone. Like, you know, a lot of people do move to San Clemente because it's like a hub of, you know, growing pro surfers. But you know, for me, it was, I think, being from the South Bay, staying here and, and growing, growing up here and living here and kind of making this my spot helped, like, almost like part of my brand. Like, you know, as, part, as surfers, you know, you have the guys that are, you know, the South Bay guys, the Ventura crew, the, you know, the guys we have north that kind of have your own zones. So I think there's an advantage to, like, honing in on your spot. But San Clemente has definitely been, you know, a hub for the growth of the future of the sport with a lot of surfers, for sure.
0: Yeah. I think you make a really good point. Like, I think like having sort of a regional identity is actually really important to your profile and also to your surfing style in a lot of ways too. Yeah. I, I wouldn't mind, I wouldn't mind seeing people stay put a little bit more. Well, did you go to school before you entered the professional world? And by that, I mean, did you go to high school and then obviously college? Yeah.
1: yeah went to high school. Um I was actually homeschooled. I, I was part of like this small community of, of homeschoolers and Um, You know, all my best friends did. It was like a a co-op, basically. Um, And, you know, we were super creative focused. And um, I think that's where a lot of my inspiration kind of came from being surrounded by all those people. Did that and then ended up going to El Camino College, which is a community college here in L.A. Um, Got my associate's degree. And then I got an internship with you guys at the WSL that summer when I was about to transfer out to Cal State Dominguez to pursue film school Mm. but I was doing the internship with you guys and then you guys offered me a job and (laughs) I gladly took it (laughs) (laughs) yeah so that's how I entered the the professional world I guess
0: yeah it's it's interesting I mean I I started as an internship as well and that was kind of the same deal like I mean you you just I was willing to kind of do whatever it took because I like surfing and I wanted to make it my job. And I always found that was a really effective way to get in here. What What about your time at the WSL? I think people would be interested to know what you did here and, and what you thought of it once you were here.
1: Totally. Yeah, I mean, honestly, going into it, you know, for me, I had two dream jobs. It was working for Red Bull or working for the World Surf League. And it was like, oh, my dream came true. I, I, uh, yeah, it was, I was a social media coordinator. So my responsibility was making all the videos you would see across social media and then also helping run, you know, social support on the broadcast and being a part of, you know, all of that. And, you know, any event, any time zone, I was on it. And, you know, I look up to a lot of people that worked at the WSL because I think they're some of the hardest working people I've ever worked with. And um, it was just an honor to be like a part of like the main surf conversation of the world. Like I was competing with, you know, Stab and Surfer (laughs) and Surfline. And our goal every day was to like, or like my job was, okay, I wanna try and win the internet every day. And that was through making, you know, surf videos, which was like a dream come true for me. Cause that's what I wanted to make my job growing up, you know, so it was really special.
0: Yeah, I was gonna ask, do you, do you think that working at the WSL and this isn't a loaded question for the listeners I'm happy if he says no but do you think it <laughs> do you think it did it help you you know, cuz you were like a real avid surfer and a really like high intellect surfer before you came to the WSL which isn't always the case but do mm-hmm. you think that working there kind of helped and formed a broader surf landscape for you
1: Yeah 100% I mean I was able to be on the inside of learning how to basically kind of operate a company and how to like run marketing campaigns and support events. And I was able to talk with, you know, Tim Greenberg was my boss and he's, you know, had a huge part in the development of, of social and video content at the World Surf League. And I learned a lot from him and appreciate all his investment in me. Um, and yeah, I think I was able to like pull from all these different areas of my work and like figure out like how that could apply to whatever my next thing was. And I think it definitely helped the progression of my surf career and learning how to navigate the professional world in that sense. And yeah, it was just really cool. I was just always learning. Really, really a good opportunity for me, for sure.
0: And when you decided to leave, it, it seems like you've accelerated your career in a lot of really cool ways. Um, what was the decision like for you to be like, okay, look, it's time. I'm asking for myself because I've been there for 16 years and I need some insight. <laughs> when But, yeah. but you know, like, what was, what was it like for you? Because obviously, yeah, I've, I've, we've had this conversation on the podcast a few times, just in regards to surfing. And, and I think Ryan Callanan said it, and I'm going to use what he said and play it here. But he was talking about like being he's he's got pretty serious um, knee injuries, um, mm. sort of bone injuries, and he was saying that surfing's so hard to say no to, you know, because you love it so much, and it's like you're always saying yes to like another wave, another session, mm-hmm. uh, another trip, another contest, because like how do you say no? But he goes, it just it ends up burning you out, and so. I think, I think of the WSL similarly uh, to that a lot of times where it's like, okay, well, how do we say no to this job? Because it is, you know, aspirationally, this really, really cool and impactful thing we can do. But I'm curious yeah. what your thought process was when you decided to leave and and what your first steps were after
1: that. Yeah. Um, well, that is kind of a loaded question. But <laughs> I will say leaving my job at the WSL was like one of the probably hardest decisions I've ever made like I was I genuinely loved my job loved the people I was working with I was able you know travel with the tour and it was really like the dream situation but you know you're running an event schedule that's all year long and you know being on social social never dies it's always running twenty four seven. so you know I was kind of in this mindset where like gosh like I love my job you know and being a surfer, I always had this dream in my back of my head. Is you know, I wanted to be a pro surfer and try and make a living doing that. And I kind of got some counsels from some of my peers there. And I was like, you know, what do you guys think I should do? You know, and, you know, I had some people say some kind words and, you know, they're also like, dude, you're, you're 22 or 23. Like you got a lot of life ahead of you. And, you know, for me, I was like, man, this is like the dream situation. But um, yeah, I ended up deciding to part ways and, you know, moving from that, I kind of started my own creative agency um, where I was creating content for a bunch of brands I did that for like a year. And um, that kind of led me into my next stage of life, I guess, but pulled a lot of inspiration from all the people I worked with.
0: Yeah, it's tough. I mean, I I think it's one of those things where, as you said, it's like, it's a global company. There's 25 hours of work every day. And I don't know if that's, healthy. And I wouldn't say that specifically about the WSL, but sort of this culture that everyone's living in. I think yeah. part of it has to do with the information age, social media and blah, blah, blah. But it's one of those things where, you know, everyone's feeling tapped, everyone's feeling burned out. And I wonder, or op, uh, part, of, part of the optimistic side of me hopes that, you know, the break over the last couple of years has made people realize like, look, I can step away from the computer. I don't have to go to these meetings. Like I can work six to eight hours a day and be like incredibly productive compared to 16 to 18. And at some point there's diminishing returns. And we always talk about that theoretically, yeah. but I feel like maybe more people have kind of understood that. Do you feel like since you've left in sort of the creative agency work you've been, you've, you've been doing in uh, the film projects, et cetera, that your work-life balance is sort of leveled in, in a more productive way for you?
1: <laughs> Honestly, it's kind of the same in a way. Yeah, like sure. I, I, Pretty much, I'm working seven days a week. Like, I it it never stops. I mean, it just my focus kind of just went to something else. Like, I and I think you know, the reason leaving, like, I was like, you know, I, I accomplished this one goal. Like, I wanted to work at the WSL one day, and I always wanted to like try and pursue surfing. So, I was trying to make all these other things work in the midst of that, but I was like, okay, let's just like pull dive into my passions and like try and make this next thing. Work, But, um, yeah, I think my work-life balance is, you know, I enjoy working. I feel like if I'm not doing something, I'm not progressing and I'm not, like, making a difference. So hmm. um, I try to push myself and, you know, that's part of the game for sure.
0: I think it's fair. I, I kind of tracking back to the, the Ryan comment and something that I struggle with a lot, too, is I think, you know, sort of the old, like, what is surfing like what is a surfer and it's like it's more than a sport it's more than a lifestyle it's sort of this identity component and i've struggled a lot in in my life like with blurring like personal and professional it's like okay like if i have a shitty day at work and i work in surfing when i go surf for myself is that gonna suck like you know what i mean or like or vice versa and it's i think it's just one of those things too where it's like it's very hard to kind of say no because you go like this is who I am. I give a shit about this. I, I want it to be good. Yeah. But yeah, I, I'd imagine you're still caught in that because it's not like you're not working in surfing right now.
1: No, yeah, I'm definitely still working in surfing. And it was, yeah, it was cool. Like now I get to watch competition and all that from, you know, just from the computer opposed to like running the broadcast and social. So yeah, I'm just stoked to see surfing come back and uh, love all the stuff you guys are doing and all the content you're doing. I'm just inspired by it all for sure.
0: Do you have like an anonymous Twitter handle where you can attack the judging if you want, or?
1: <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, but I always love reading the trolls and like seeing what people have to say. It's pretty, pretty hectic.
0: Yeah. What do you, I mean, we're kind of in this really interesting new era for the championship tour. Who do you think on the, on both the, the men's and women's sides, like who, who are the ones that you think are really going to make a move? I wouldn't say just this year, but let's just say the next three years.
1: Ooh. I want to see Felipe Toledo win a title. Mm. I think like, I think if he could just hone in on what he's really good at and, you know, being that we might have a different kind of type of tour this year, I think he might be able to, he can perform on anything and pull out, you know, eights, nines, and tens on any kind of wave. So I think he has a lot of opportunity. I also would like to see Clohe and Dina do well, you know, being from the U.S. and like supporting someone like him. I, I feel like I can back him. So I'd like to see him do well. I think Carolyn Marks is like the future of women's surfing and like Mm. she just rips so hard and I think, you know, her backside is so good and I, I like study her surfing. So I think she'll be a force of, of like crazy surfing for the next few, few years for sure.
0: Let's take it back to Los Angeles for a second. Obviously it's a, a hub for the entertainment industry and it seems like you in particular, you've, you've, Cross worlds with the entertainment world while being a surfer. You mentioned mm. stunt doubling for television shows. You know, do you like that part of of your job? Do you do you like kind of working in Hollywood, working in the entertainment world? Do you plan to do more of it? Um, I'm, I'm curious.
1: Yeah, um, it's interesting. I mean, I definitely like it. I think I being a stunt double was cool because it was literally just surfing. Like my job was surfing. I got to be a Netflix uh, stunt double for a show called Outer Banks, and they. Flew us to Florida. We surfed all day. And uh, I was also stumped double for HBO's Ballers. And they like shut down Huntington Pier and made it look like the U.S. Open. And my job was basically like, all right, you get to burn everyone all day and catch whatever way. So that was cool. But um, yeah, I think being in Hollywood's fun. It's kind of helped me like find ways to be good at the other side of surfing, which is, you know, being in front of a camera and being comfortable with that and having conversations and not just being a surfer. Like I wanted right. to be really well-rounded and good at everything. And, you know, I can make videos. I could be in front of a camera, you know, surf breaks being a host for you guys was rad. Um, and I can also ride a wave. So I don't know. I have a, a lot of fun with that side of it too.
0: It's really interesting. Like, I think like navigating Hollywood is like, it's almost like its own language in a lot of ways. It's one that yeah. I don't, I don't feel like I've cracked, but I, I know it exists. Do you, do you feel like Hollywood either through the shows or the movies has gotten surfing right yet? And if so, what, what do you think's, what do you think's gotten closest? I have an answer Gosh. too. I'm just, I'm just curious just to see That's what yours is. a hard is.
1: question. I mean, most of the time, Hollywood gets it wrong. Like, you see it, like, as a surfer, you know, we look at surfing so much different than the normal consumer. I mean, it was cool to be a part of Outer Banks. And then, like, you know, I, it was me, Mason Barnes, and Mia Collins, all, like, pretty good surfers, and they definitely got it right. But most of the time, it's kind of, like, kooky and, like, oh, that's not right. Or they're riding a weird board or whatever. It, it's fu- and What's your take?
0: Well, it's funny. Like, I, I, I wonder if it's, like art imitating life and vice versa sometimes, because I do think like the real kooky, stereotypical, like Hollywood depiction of surfing, I sometimes see it manifest like in reality, like at the beach. And I'm like, God, that person is exactly like that weird stereotype <laughs> I saw on television, which I guess makes it not a stereotype. Like i realize this weird yeah. kind of Ouroboros of idiocy happening. Someone said this once to me and I totally backed it, but like the Penguin cartoon, Surf's Up, I thought nailed it. I mm-hmm. was like, that, that did nail it. Now. Like they it's such now. a good job. I also I'm partial to North Shore. My neighbor's uh, Greg Harrison, so Chandler. Oh you know, heck yeah, a big fan. But yeah, I I just I always think there's so much room there. Like because I I think it's just one of those things where it's like it's so interesting. But then when you kind of get outside of surfing, it becomes impenetrable. And the attempts from Hollywood to harness it haven't been that great. But I always think of it as like, man, if anyone ever tries to get it right, like. I don't know. Like I've always like if Tarsim Singh or someone took a crack at it, like what would that look like? Or like Paul Thomas Anderson, like what would that look like? Would it be, would it hue really, really true to what surfing and surf culture is? Or would it be like another version of the stereotype, which would hurt? So I don't know. I'm always curious.
1: It's interesting. And I heard some like things people talking about, like in Hollywood now with the use of surf pools or wave pools, you know, At Palm Springs, you know, they're talking about we could just throw a green screen behind the pool and just get the right surfing shots and like be able to pull off, you know, Hollywood surfing a lot easier than the current process of like actually having to surf, having a scheduled time where you're shooting, maybe not getting the right waves or whatever. But I don't know. I think the future of that is like looking bright for sure.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, I I think like the same thing's been said about the surf ranch too, right? Because I mean, I, I always have my eyes open anytime I kind of grace like proper Hollywood projects like The Ultimate Surfer or like probably what you've seen in the work you've done where it's like, wow, this is like, this is a lot of people that work on this thing. This is a lot of money that go into this shoot. This is bananas. No joke. Yeah. And and when they're trying to get surfing shots and it's like, well, we could go to the ocean and like really roll the dice or we go to a wave system and like guarantee we're getting what we need. It's like, I, Mm -hmm. I I understand the math there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think wave pools are a huge shift in the future of, of professional surfing and surfing as a whole.
0: Yeah. All right. We're going to take a quick break to get a word in from our sponsors. And when we come back, we are going to dive into some more topics. WSLStore.com is powered by Shopify. Go to shopify.com slash lineup now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash lineup. As surfing makes its impressive showcase for the second time at the Olympic Games Paris 2024, Samsung is capturing every epic moment through a new series and a celebration of our culture bringing the spirit and stories of surfers, including Joanne de Fe, John John Florence, and Jack Robinson to the forefront. Want to dive deeper into our world? Visit youtube.com slash samsung. All right, let's bring it back to some of the projects that you're working on right now, because you've got a, a pretty full dance card. You're doing One Planet, One People with Rai Harris and Salema Masakella. You're um working on the color the water board collaboration with Ray Harris. You got the body glove thing. Like talk to us a little bit about these projects and you know, where they came from and and what your intentions are with them.
1: Yeah. It's cool, man. I feel like I'm in a a cool position just being, you know, a biracial surfer and, you know, you know, finally making, you know, a living out of surfing, I guess. And I feel like for me, I just want to be like a role model and hopefully kind of try and inspire the next generation of surfers. You know, for me growing up, I didn't really have someone that I looked up to maybe on any given day in, in the surf space. I mean, there were a couple, you know, being you know, Salama Masakela and, and Mikey February. But for me, I just want to like be a role model and try and, you know, kind of build up that next generation of, I guess, diverse surfers or, or anyone really to just like follow their dreams. Cause that's what I'm doing. And yeah, with that, it's cool. I'm I'm working with um, Color the Water and Ryan Harris. Ryan Harris and I have a board model that we've collaborated on um, called the HJM. And for any purchase made on that board from Ryan for uh, 2021, we're going to give 100 bucks to Color the Water, which is an organization out of um, Santa Monica. And they give free surf lessons to people of color. So they're just doing some rad work and it was just, I went and taught some lessons and watched how what they were doing and just super inspired and a cool way to kind of give back um, and kind of see that progression of the sport, I guess. And yeah, man, it's just cool to see that stuff happening.
0: You talked about the fact that you're a biracial surfer and, you know, the topic of racism in surfing is, is not a new one, but one that was really, really charged throughout 2020, you know. Um, following the George Floyd killings and the Black Lives Matter protests. Mm-hmm. Is, is is it something you've ever experienced in surfing growing up, you know, um, whether feeling uncomfortable or something more direct?
1: Um, you know, I think I've definitely, you know, had my fair share of interesting experiences in the water. Um, you know, I've been called names, whatever, but I think we all, every person deals with stuff and it's about, Mm -hmm. how you react to those things. I think a lot of the times when people are saying rude things or crude things, they're just trying to get a rise out of you. And Mm -hmm. for me, if I'm like going to feed into that, (laughs) that's not going to help. I try to like flip the script and, and come at them with love and give them like the response they wouldn't think. So it's like, Mm -hmm. well, like maybe that kind of shocks them and like (laughs) can just change the narrative, you know? And like, Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, last year was interesting, man. Um, I think for me, you know, seeing what the ocean is like the ocean accepts all of us. It's like Mm -hmm. nature and the ocean are this equalizing healer almost. And, you know, the ocean sees no race, no economic background, doesn't see the good, bad and the ugly and the things that you've done in your life. It just accepts us with open arms. And I think if we were all to like, take on that symbol and um, kind of push that out into the world, it'd be a better place.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's, it's obviously a really admirable response, but it shouldn't be, you know, your fucking responsibility to do that either. And this comes up a lot. And I I think about it a lot. And it came up even last week when we were talking to Key Britain, which is this real dissonance between what you really beautifully articulated and what the ocean is um, and what surfing as sort of an act and experience is and then kind of the separation between that and then the institutions that are built on top of surfing, um, mm. whether it's you know, media, industry, the sport in some ways, or just kind of closed-minded communities. And it's a real weird one. Like I, I think kind of, I guess in, the, in a weird way or probably not a weird way, but in the way that you articulated it, it is the way to do it where it's like, well, all we can do is really draw inspiration from the ocean and from what, how surfing makes me feel. And that's how I want to interact with other people, even if they're not paying me the same respect. But yeah, it's just, it's always struck me as weird um, and 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 unnecessary in a lot of ways.
1: Yeah, I it, it, I feel like it can be a little unnecessary too. Like, I don't look at people by, you know, the color of their skin. I look at people by the content of their character. You know, that's what MLK said. And it's interesting. I mean, sometimes people look at another person, that's all they see. Um, but yeah, it's, um, you know, we had, I had a lot of people asking me like, you know, what, what can I do to help? And it was interesting, like, I don't know, but, right. um, you know, me, myself, Ryan Harris, Salama Masakela, and Danielle Black Lyons, kind of in the midst of the heat of last year, we had a lot of people asking us like, what do we, how can we help? Um, mm-hmm. And we basically started um, One Planet, One People, which is um, a collective activation supporting climate action and racial and social equality. And basically what we did was create a hub of information of sources or resources that we trusted. And um, we're pushing people to that. So things that you can support nonprofits, organizations that fall under kind of our core values and basically just trying to be a hub of positivity and um and stoked. So yeah, it's been really cool. And I get to work with people that inspire me. Like it's cool now working with Salema like years later, when as a kid, I grew up with like, oh, like one day I want to be like him or like, uh, you know, so it's, it's pretty cool.
0: Yeah. You know, Salema, he came on and he said the exact same thing of like, yeah, a lot of people are asking, like, how can I help? And and it is one of those things where it's like, OK, like it shouldn't be on people of color to carry the responsibility and have to figure that out for other people either necessarily but yeah it's it's totally appreciated I mean to be completely candid like we went through the same process on this podcast where it's like you know uh, the the George Floyd murder happens and it's like holy fuck like I don't want to talk about surfing like I do not want to do it and I know that's not it was not sadly it was not a unique situation and we really racked our brains and be like, well, how do we address it? Like, how do we, do, what do we do? You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and the, the, the realization is like, well, we haven't done anything. We haven't done enough. So we actually don't even know where to go to ask. You know, yeah. like I, I listened to the, uh, the Bill Simmons podcast a lot and, and I listened to them struggle with the same thing. And, and the way they approached it was like, well, we want to, we want to incorporate uh, more diverse voices onto our podcast platform, right? Mm. But they already had the benefit of working with diverse voices on the yeah. platform. You know what I mean? And and I'm not saying that as like well, it was easy for them. They they ended up doing the right thing, but it was like we were so far behind even that in the yeah. sense of like well, where do we even start? You know? So it's 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 frustrating. You know, I was wondering, do, does have has your experience in this space and and what you just outlined from 2020, did that inform the the film that you're working on with Matt Davino at all?
1: Yeah, it's exactly kind of where it came from. Basically, we kind of want to just kind of tell the story of how surfing started. Um, And the film is still to be named. We're figuring out we're in in the midst of production right now. But yeah, basically, we're talking about kind of where surfing started, how segregation kind of maybe had an influence on surf culture as a whole. And um, basically trying to show the, the gist of it is showing modern profiles of people and how diverse people or people of color are now changing the current landscape of surfing. Like, you know, you have the Brazilian storm who have kind of rocked the professional surfing world. You have people like Kanoia Garashi, who's, you know, the first Japanese surfer to win a CT. Um, and then, you know, people like Ryan Harris, a, you know, eco board shaper and changing, yeah, kind of the current landscape of surf. So yeah, I'm super stoked on the progression of the film. We're in the midst of it right now and excited to hopefully have it out by the end of the year. But yeah, and to your point earlier, it's it's interesting for me, like I have a lot of people asking me like advice on how to handle all this. And for me, you know, being a person of color, being biracial, like I'm still trying to figure it all out too, in a way. And like, you know, you have a lot of media and press and it's just an interesting position to be in, but I think um, we all just need to love each other a little bit more. And I think that's kind of the root of it all. There's a lot of division and a lot of people taking sides. Yeah, I think we just need to love each other.
0: Yeah, well, dude, I think you you channeling that in, in hugely productive ways and uh, and you rip. So I think uh, you just keep doing you, man.
1: Oh, appreciate that, dude.
0: So now it's time for our top five power rankings. It's a new segment we've been doing for a couple of weeks now. And we thought we'd have a little fun this time. We talked about some of the side projects you've been able to work on and some of the cool stuff you've done in the past. So as an individual who wears a ton of different hats, we're hoping you can give us your top five odd jobs and side hustles while trying to make a living as a surfer. Can you start (laughs) us off with number five?
1: Yeah. (laughs) This is fun. Uh, number five, we kind of talked talked about it, but uh, I had a creative agency that I was running for a year. It was cool. I was able to work with Glory Kickboxing. I made a commercial for them. I've made music videos. You know, my brothers are music artists and I had the opportunity to make a project or music video for them. So I've kind of been in the creative video editing marketing space and that was like, one thing I tried to do in the midst of trying to make the whole surf thing work, so that's probably my number 5.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I like it. What's number 4? <laughs>
1: <laughs> number 4 uh Surf Breaks host. That was um super cool. Got to do that for a whole year and it was cool. I, I came in and I remember the casting. Uh there's a handful of people and I remember doing the casting and like reading a script off the teleprompter and Feeling like I totally, like, didn't make the cut, and, <laughs> you know, Dave Finger came up to me. And was like, "Hey, like, we like you. Let's keep this going." And then I became a host for the show. But um, yeah, that was super cool opportunity.
0: Yeah, tryouts are always a pain in the ass, man. <laughs> yeah,
1: definitely. Number three, uh, the surfing stunt double work was really cool. And then number two, I was a, ha- I've been a hand model a couple times. Of okay, course. Right. some of the most interesting work. <laughs> we're
0: going to stop there for a moment. <laughs> this is straight straight out of Zoolander, man. Talk to us about hand modeling. You're like yeah. the D- David Duchovny's character.
1: It's crazy, man. You think, so like half the time, they're just like, it's for food. So half the time, <laughs> they're just prepping the <laughs> food. That makes sense. It makes sense. And it's like the whole time is like making, you know, they're, they're gluing the cheese on, the, making sure the burger, the patty's right, and... Then I come in. I literally just put my hand on the plate, <laughs> and that's game. <laughs> it's that easy. But uh, go on. Let's yeah, see, the see the hand.
0: I want to so see the hands. You got to hold. Oh, up. it's not that pretty. That's pretty enough, man. I'd eat a burger that was next to those.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, they had me full on shave my arms. Like it's it's pretty next level.
0: So okay, well, I, I want I need to know more. If you go on a burger hand modeling job, how long are you, how long's do you hand there on the burger? Like like thirty oh, minutes, like seven probably, hours,
1: like. In total. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably like forty-five minutes worth of like a full day's work. Oh, but you're there for the whole day. Yeah, because they're like making these meals and they have to look fresh.
0: How many <laughs> so, how many how many burgers how many burgers have to go next to your one hand to get the shot? Or during a whole day?
1: Well, there's there's probably like two burgers that they're always just like re like putting a little heater on and making it look like it's glazed and they're doing the lighting <laughs> off of it so it looks perfect. <laughs> but really that burger's been sitting for like ever.
0: You know? Yeah. Okay. All right. I get it. I was going to say, this sounds like this has got to be up there for a side hustle. Cause I can't imagine it takes that much time, but a whole day is, that's tough.
1: Yeah. Hey, it's, it's a pretty cool gig. Uh, I enjoyed it. <laughs> all right. Um, what's, what's your number one? I want to hear it. Number one is, uh, I do a lot of haircuts and I did a lot of haircuts. Um, I've been cutting all my friend's hair since like I was a teenager. And we kind of started off doing it just for fun and like screwing up each other's hair. And I guess I kind of just had a liking for it. And um, yeah, I've basically cut all my friend's hair now. I've cut my friend's hair for his wedding and like all the groomsmen. But yeah, it's interesting. Like I just enjoy it and I haven't had any lessons or anything like that. Uh, I just fully self-taught and definitely had some errors and and miscuts growing up. (laughs) It's uh, (laughs) definitely an odd job, I guess.
0: Yeah, right. So, so what you're doing this in quarantine? People just kind of text you, and then they, they Squarespace, they do the square thing, or they Venmo you, or what's how's this
1: work? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I don't really charge all my friends, but you know, if I get like a little referral or something, I'll have them Venmo me or something. But yeah, I mean, I've been doing it ever since I was a teenager, and, and more recently, just like having people come to the garage and put some music on, give them a beer, and and chat, and cut their hair. It's uh, it's a pretty good time.
0: I like this. I'm, I'm going to go. I'm going to go with a deep pull on this one, and that is that uh, early aughts San Clemente goofy footer Drew Ventura Ripper rode for Mata at the time. Mm-hmm. I remember I wrote a story on him for the San Clemente Times once, and I asked him what he'd be doing if it wasn't surfing. He goes, I, "I'm obsessed with cutting hair. I want to be a barber. That's my that's no my way. life plan." And my understanding, uh, based on my Instagram research, he and I are buddies. Uh, is he's in Buffalo, New York, and he's a barber. No way! Yeah, so man, hey, good big, stuff, man. Big, big things in your future. I like this.
1: <laughs> Thanks, hey man. I mean, I would potentially go to barber school if all else failed. Like, I it's fun. I enjoy it.
0: People always need haircuts. Those are great, yeah.
1: man. Let me know when uh, you're ready for one. I yeah. Well, we'll do that after the show. <laughs> So
0: speaking of Instagram, uh, we did throw out questions to the Instagram community and we got a few several hundred thousand back. Uh, we've, we threw them and we ended up with three. So these are from the Instagram community. First question is from Ed Kirk 87 who asks, who's your favorite surfer to work with on film projects and why? Follow-up question. So he's getting two for one. And who would you most like to work with?
1: Ooh, interesting question. That's a good one. Uh, you know, I worked with um, Greg Browning, who's somewhat a surfer that I and filmmaker that I've looked up to my whole life. He helped produce the my Welcome to the Team Body Glove video that we just did, and it was just really cool. He made it feel super easy and like super comfortable and like no pressure, and that's always a good environment when you're on a shoot or trying to like get a surf clip or something. Um, so. Loved working with him and I would, someone to work with on a film. It'd be cool to work with Mason Ho. He just seemed like the, <laughs> the sickest guy ever. I met him in Hawaii last year and he was just super nice to me. And uh, yeah, I think he just would make it anything fun. So it'd be cool to work with him.
0: I like the Greg Browning call. Like, I think there's, there's a lot of parallels there. Like Greg Browning rips himself, yeah. great great filmmaker. I th- I, can, I can see that as a model for you, man.
1: Yeah, no, I look up to him a lot. He kind of did what I wanted to do. He was a pro surfer and a filmmaker and he made it happen. You know, he did the drive-thru series and fortunate to work with him. And yeah, inspired by him for sure. Awesome.
0: All right, second Instagram question. I am Jill 2 asks, The Bachelorette, can you give us some insight into behind the scenes of what night one was like follows up like i've heard it's a really really long night of filming but they make it seem like it's only a couple of hours what's the truth are there any behind the scenes stories you can share there oh gosh
1: yeah man that i mean at least to start that whole journey was so interesting i mean i got how it happened was i got dm'd on instagram like hey would you be interested in being a part of the bachelorette and i was like oh yeah i like Let's try it out And then Ended up making it as the cast And it was pretty nuts But uh, Any inside scoop Yeah Night one it, They start filming at like Eight at night And then it Ends around like Eight in the morning So it's a full You're up all night Into the morning and Like It ends and the sun's rising You know An interesting Inside scoop Like when In the beginning of the show On episode one When everyone comes into the limos It looks like it's two limos <laughs> Where all the dudes come out But it's really like eight limos, um, (laughs) that they just shuffle in and out. And, uh, yeah, man, it's, uh, reality TV is a whole other beast. You basically just one of their pawns, And when they choose to put you here and there, that's how it happens. But it was, uh, the craziest thing I've ever done.
0: What are you doing for 12 hours between eight and eight? Are you just like sitting around talking to the other guys and being, uh, it's cold. You want to get a coffee? Pretty
1: much. Yeah. Like we, everyone has their own producer, so, you know, there's a cast of like 30 guys or whatever, and everyone has their own producers. So you're being pulled each and every way you're doing interviews and just like talking with these guys and not, we're all just trying to figure out what's going on too. You know, like it's just a trip and, uh, you feel it like sound, it sounds like weird, most of your States yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I just felt like I was a part of this weird social experiment.
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right. Last question from the Instagram community comes from Tim Laney and, uh, very concise. It's just one word. Pipeline with a question. So <laughs> I don't I I don't think, know what that means. Like, do you like the idea of pipeline, surfing pipeline, watching pipeline? You know, you take whatever avenue you want, Hunter.
1: Pipeline, that's... Tim Laney's my roommate, by the way. Oh, so right, I think we he actually made the cut for this question. That's hilarious. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, pipeline. I've surfed it a couple times. Probably one of the scarier waves I've ever surfed. I've only got a couple waves at backdoor. And I tried it pipe, but didn't make any. Um, it's so gnarly. I mean, you see the reef and it's super shallow and it's extremely fast and you know, the best of the best are out there, but, uh, I love watching competition there and, um, yeah, man, it's an intimidating wave and I would like to get a wave there one day, but we'll see what happens.
0: <laughs> it It is funny. We, we have, a. Uh... I think it's been announced otherwise i'm just spoiling stuff all over the shop but we've got this apple tv show from the guys that did uh drive to survive they're filming this year mm. and it's going to come out uh or later this year or next year on on apple tv and uh they're at pipeline and you know they're they're not from the surfing world and you know you're answering all these questions they're really smart and they're really nice and and they're like would you go out there and it was like a actually a solid day. And I'm like, no, like none at all. They're like, you you, you could surf that. And I said, well, I, number one, probably not. But then even beyond that, like the actual takeoff spot at pipe is like this shifting six foot square space, you know, of like, if you're, if you're, if you're too far on the outside of it, you're not going to get barreled. If you're too far on the inside of it, you're not going to make the drop. And I said, so you've got this six foot space. Um, And you got 50 of the best guys ever hunting that space. And I said, there's just no, any wave I got out there would be something I shouldn't take at all. Like it'd be like, everyone said, don't go. And I went, it was a nightmare. So
1: yeah, it's a whole other type of surfing. And I mean, you know, you see guys like I see this little bump coming up and it's like pushing towards pipe and then it becomes this really long backdoor wave and you have to know the the spot so well. And I pay a lot of respects to the guys that, you know, surf that every day. And just, being out there and watching it all go down is really cool and anytime there's an event there i'm always stoked to watch
0: yeah for sure well those are good questions from the instagram community we do have one final segment it is the lightning round so we have 10 questions and your job is to answer as fast as you can let's do it if you could only have one board set up for the rest of your life single fin twin fin thruster quad bonzer or finless which would you choose thruster coffee or tea
1: oh coffee
0: burrito or pizza? Easily burrito. Last book you read?
1: It's been a while, um, but I think, I don't know the last book I read, but a book I read that kind of really you know, changed my life was Do Hard Things. Mm. Best surf film ever? Uh, Modern Collective. Mm. Or maybe, let me say, Step Into Liquid was like the first surf movie I saw, and I was like, I want to make surf movies, and I want to be a surfer. So that. To me, it might be one of the best surf movies ever.
0: I like it. One wave you never have to go back to.
1: Oh, my gosh. I don't know. I don't know. I have to (laughs) think about it.
0: (laughs) If you only get to surf one wave for the rest of your life. Uppers. Best person to share a lineup with.
1: My best friends.
0: Worst person to share the lineup with.
1: Could be my best friends, too, to be honest.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> all right last one finish this sentence i will next achieve a state of happiness by
1: waking up in the morning making a cup of coffee being thankful for another day of life and um, trying to make the most of it
0: hunter jones thank you so much for coming on the lineup where can people check your stuff out
1: uh you can find me on instagram at hunter jones um I'm going to be dropping a little vlog on my YouTube soon. It's also Hunter Jones. But uh, yeah, Dave, thank you so much for having me. I'm I'm honored to be here and to have this conversation with you, man.
0: Right on, man. Let's get some waves and you give me a haircut next time. (laughs)
1: Let's do it. So
0: that's it. That's the lineups conversation with Hunter Jones. I hope you enjoyed it. This episode is produced by Ryan Fawcett with art direction by Jason Penning. Thanks to both of them and thanks to our sponsors. We appreciate their support. The lineup acknowledges that it is recorded and produced on the ancestral lands of the Chumash and the Kichdi people. I hope you safely get some waves wherever you're at, and we'll see you next Tuesday. WSLstore.com is powered by Shopify.